The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about employment background checks. And this is such a hot area of of concern for everyone who would be listening because we all know that there are background checks for us if we're trying to get promoted or we're trying to get a new job and there are so many chances for there to be errors and things that we don't even know about. And we have a wonderful guest today. I actually was looking through a catalog of interesting books and I found this pre-employment background investigations for public safety professionals and I thought, oh, this would be a perfect expert to have on our show. So let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest, Dr. Frank Calapretti is an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice Administrations at Keuka College in New York, and he is also an adjunct faculty member, member of Norwich University, Nova Southwestern Uni- Southeastern University, New England College, uh, the Public Safety Institute, and the Civic Institute at Mercyhurst University, and the Justice and Training Research Institute at Roger Williams University. He has served for 20 years in policing, and he retired as a police lieutenant. And he also has published three textbooks, of which one of them I have right here, and they're called Internal Investigations, A Practitioner's Approach. The next one is Mentoring in the Criminal Justice Profession. And the one that I think is so fascinating that we're going to talk about today is pre-employment background investigations for public safety professionals. He also has a website, justicesystemsolutions.com. And I'm just so thrilled that you've joined us all the way from the East Coast, Frank. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mari. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity to share my opinions on this. It's certainly a critical topic, especially in this day and age, um, when people are all trying to find jobs and there's not many out there. Oh, exactly. And, And, you know... People don't get those face-to-face interviews often. They do everything by uh, electronically, and then, of course, they authorize background checks electronically, and no one even knows, you know, how many errors there are. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, one of the, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems that we see is because this is this process has become 
so user-friendly from an electronic perspective that what you'll find is companies that will get thousands of applications for a minimal number of positions. Exactly. And to, try and, to try and actually vet those you know, in, in, in a meaningful way um, has really become very impossible for organizations. Now it becomes more computer algorithms or it's just you know, taking a dart and shooting it at a dartboard, I mean, which is a sad state that we're in right now in employment. I have to tell you this case before we get started because I think everything that we talk about will pretty much relate to that. Mm-hmm. A gentleman uh, actually called me in 2011, mm-hmm. and he had been working for a company um, in security at the Los Angeles airport for eight years. Mm-hmm. And he had found out a few years before that he was a victim of criminal identity theft, but he was able in in Los Angeles area to get a judicial clearance, and he was able to get his security clearance several times. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2010, TSA had him go through an equip, um, it, you know, an, an equip uh, where they have the application online, mm-hmm. and he filled it out, and uh, it came back with all this uh, these convictions that were not his felonies that were not mm-hmm. his, and he got a letter, and, and you know, it's very hard to connect with TSA and Homeland Security, mm-hmm. and so what he ended up doing is he he wrote a letter, he sent all the documentation to show that he was a victim, he gave the name of the person who stole his identity because he found out about it, and um, he was fired. He mm-hmm. was fired from his job. His his employer, uh, Morpho, who is being sued right now, knew that he was a victim of criminal identity theft. And he tried to get the background check and couldn't get it from mm-hmm. 2010 until this year when he filed a lawsuit in mm-hmm. 2013. And he hadn't even seen this background check. No, no. I, I, no. I mean, all those records are private in many organizations. They don't yeah. even want to release them to you because they don't want to certainly incur the liability for the for the poor decisions that they've made along the way. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you especially because he's from California, our, you know, we have even, um, you know, more stringent uh, than the Fair Credit Reporting Act to, to get mm-hmm. those documents. So anyway, he has not been a, he finally got the background check. Um, and he has not been able to get his job back. And he's been out of a job now since 2010, and mm-hmm. he has become homeless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of been doing all this pro bono work and got him a litigation attorney up where he lives. Mm-hmm. And he is still out of work. This is still going on. And I actually interviewed him on my radio show just for, so he could tell his story. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of stuff that goes on exactly like what you were talking about, Frank, mm-hmm. that there's you don't even have the face to face like with the TSA. Mm-hmm. They're the electronic records. They you know, I think it was one of those three that's been in the paper about this whole Snowden stuff, which mm-hmm. is higher rights who um, a lot the TSA used all these companies that didn't even really fulfill their obligations mm-hmm. to do background checks so I thought I would just share that that's how you know this whole thing I felt so bad for this guy and I've seen this before mm-hmm. so I thought this would be such an important issue that we could talk about mm-hmm. so let's talk about the other kinds of privacy issues that arise in pre-employment screening I mean, if you think about I mean let's we can even talk about the case that you were um, you know certainly mentioning with, with right. this poor gentleman. I mean, and, and certainly sad as it is, but that's the case. Is that what happens is, is many times these companies become a, a, a vortex for the application process, and decisions are made behind the scenes that are made many times on inaccurate or false information or bad information. Yes. And, and you bring in an excellent point. You talk about privacy issues in this process. Is that many of the private contractors that are hired? In fact, it was a point I'm glad that you're getting too early in this. Discussion. 
discussion, is that these national uh, credit agencies and national investigative agencies that are doing these quasi-background investigations, we have to back it up to 2001. The issues that we ran into after uh, the 9-11 attacks is that companies became far more sensitive to who they were hiring, and, and then that transcends uh, certainly employee violence and, and, and whatnot. But what happens is from this is that those applications go into this vortex. People, there will be decisions that are made behind the scenes, especially from a national uh, investigative reporting company. And if they work for more than one agency, that a, that information may be shared from company to company. So you may be blacklisted in, in, in a sense and never know that. And that sounds like what's happened with this individual. Exactly. That mm-hmm. is what happened with mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And, and you know, what what you were talking about, it, it is so important because one of the issues in privacy is being allowed to at least, you know, the information privacy practices is that if there are databases with information about you, you should be able to see it. Like everybody who's listening can understand, like with mm-hmm. our credit reports, right? That mm-hmm. we, we're entitled to get our credit reports for free once a year and we can look at them. And if there's an error or identity theft, we can correct it. And it's a pain in the butt, but mm-hmm. we can do it. Mm-hmm. We don't have that same system with the criminal justice system, do right. we? No. Well, it's a more ambiguous question from a perspective of pre-employment. From, from a criminal perspective, uh, certainly there are records databases. When you look at the national, uh, the national systems that are set up to be able to track records and, and certainly arrests and whatnot, I mean, th- those are, are much more clear that you can run a record check and see if you have a record or not. But as you go behind the scenes, when you look at uh, the pre-employment process, uh, from, a, from a public safety perspective, I mean, a very easy example I can give you is that I processed uh, well over 1,500 candidates um, in my position when I ran the pre-employment investigations unit. And you'll have individuals who will come into the process who will who will admit to crimes or admit to incidents that they were never arrested for. And the tough situation is, is that now becomes a record that will be maintained within the organization itself. So now when they apply to the next department or the next agency, they're going to sign a release form. Our agency would turn those types of records over. So it, it really is hit and miss. I mean, you don't know what's going to be released along the way. I mean, one of the recommendations I make to individuals, especially applying to law enforcement positions, is any Anytime you fill out any application, make a photocopy out of it for yourself because many times what will happen is you'll forget what you put in an application. It's not lying. You just It's just faulty memory at times. It, it really puts you in a position where the agency that's reviewing that information is going to consider that there's untruthfulness there when there may not be. Exactly. Maybe a simple mistake. Right, just human error, reading mm-hmm. the application wrong. I know I'm a sheriff reserve here since uh, to the year 2000, mm-hmm. and um, I know I have to go through background checks and everything. But one thing we have in California, and I don't think it's nationally, but they have to give us a copy of the background check if you check the box. Okay, mm-hmm. they absolutely have to give you that that uh, copy, so that if I do authorize a background check, mm-hmm. which which I did, and you know I do every year, they they redo me every five years to make sure I haven't done anything wrong in the last five years. Mm-hmm. But um, for anything that you do a background check, you should mark that box so mm-hmm. that you get a copy. I don't think it's that is the law in every state, is it? No, it isn't. I mean, it's a, it's a very progressive mindset in California for to be able to. I mean, and I'm a big uh, advocate for trans. Transparency in these records. I mean, if we yes. say that somebody shouldn't have the job, we should be able to articulate it. It shouldn't be a gut feeling or driven by politics or, you know, certainly political motivations. But uh, most states don't. I mean, uh, the majority of states that that record is the sole responsibility and the sole uh, they have the sole purview is held by the agency that's done the investigation itself. And in many times, unless you can file some type of lawsuit uh, that attaches 
this to some type of protection under a civil rights act, you'll never see those records. Yeah, and, um, see, and then, that, that's so horrible because, mm-hmm. you know, th- there are so many mixed files mm-hmm. and, and names. Like, you know, there's John Howard. How many mm-hmm. John Howards are there? You know, or if I look up a friend that had kind of a, a, a normal, you know, regular name like Smith or Johnson or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many thousands will be, even if I'm looking for them for a Facebook page for a friend there well, might be even, 10 million of them that come up i mean think about it even in unique names and i can't i mean her name escapes me right now but there is an individual there's a woman who lives in new york state that has the same name of a male criminal down in carolina or alabama or something right it was on a federal watch list and she has relatives in canada and she gets stopped every time she goes over the border because of the similarity i mean Yes. And they can clearly tell that she's a white female, it's a minority male. They can clearly tell it's not the individual, but she's basically harassed every time she goes across the border. It was a big CNN report that was on that. And, uh, and that happens, uh, one of the things that, uh, there are some professions, I'll give you an example, such as in New York State, the NYSPN or New York State Police Information Network, which is criminal records checks and, and, and um, the Department of Motor Vehicles checks that are, that are handled through that particular system for field check, that the system, there's also policy and law in place that says that that system cannot be used for um, criminal or, uh, pre-employment screening because of, because of the potential of similarity hits. So there are some states that, that understand that issue, but the reality of it is, is that there's no real consistent policy or consistent practice uh, to be able to protect individuals. And then what's the redress? I mean, most times they don't have, they don't really understand or know why they were rejected, and even if they want to challenge it, I mean, you're talking about being tied up for years in court yes. if you're successful. Well, yes, yes, mm-hmm. and you have to find somebody that will do it for you for free because mm-hmm. right now, you, you know, our, I mean, thank goodness I found there's three of us attorneys working on it for mm-hmm. free because... Mm-hmm. He can't afford it. I mean, he literally went from having a really good job and being, you know, honorably discharged and being mm-hmm. honored in the in the Air Force to losing his home, mm-hmm. losing, losing, having only one car between him and his wife. Yeah. It, it is just such a tragic situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the going back to comparing like the credit bureaus and the, um, you know, and the criminal justice databases. Mm-hmm. One thing, I had a case actually in New York where I had another victim of criminal identity theft, and I had to go through, like, the NCIC and everything Mm -hmm. else. Um, But what is very interesting that people don't recognize is this, and you know this from being in law enforcement for so long, the NCIC is fingerprint-based, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the background checks are not fingerprint-based. They are social security number-based that anybody in the brother would know, in fact— my client, my poor Stephen Eccles, the guy knew his social security number. They went to school together many, many years before mm-hmm. in elementary school. And so it's very easy to use somebody else's social security number. Mm-hmm. Somehow, when you were talking a few minutes ago about how, you know, you and law enforcement can can look at these criminal databases, right, that mm-hmm. are fingerprint based. But the ordinary person, I can't do that. I right. can't get my criminal database to see my fingerprints on there or, mm-hmm. or show that. So the one thing we've been trying to deal with with law enforcement is actually get the fingerprints to, to I have actually the fingerprints uh, of some of my clients and show that those fingerprints are different than the fingerprints of the real criminal. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be some kind of a connection where you can look and see, well, gee, these two people have the same name, or this person committed identity theft, but look at these two people have different fingerprints. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, there's I, there's a couple issues that I just like to bring to light and build on what you said. I mean, certainly credit reporting has been a problem since the first credit report was generated. They they, they just don't correlate this information as well as they should. And then we all get basically uh, it, subjected to a system where we can be falsely accused of these credit issues because of, of misfiling and whatnot. The criminal record side of it is kind of an interesting point is that, yes, you can compare fingerprints if fingerprints are taken in a particular case. And many times these lower-level arrests, misdemeanors, you know, some of the violations, uh, disorderly conduct and whatnot, where a right. person is just going to get an, an appearance ticket, they won't, be, they won't be fingerprinted at that time. So they could give any name sometimes right. if, if the, if the, um, if the identity isn't uh, verified. Right. Now, I'll give you an opposite uh, case, um, an interesting one that, you're, that really uh, plays on this, is that I had a real sad case of an applicant who came through the process who walked in the door and we ran a, a criminal records check on him, and it came back that he had a uh, conviction, um, a journey, uh, I think it was a journey contemplation of dismissal or something like that for grand larceny. The, the, the allegation was he'd stolen $3,000 from Sears uh, Roebuck Company mm. working on the docks. We sit down with the applicant and ask the applicant about this, who never disclosed this on his, his, his application. And he says, oh, he says, that wasn't me, that was my brother. He used to use my name all the time. Um, uh, <laughs> so now uh, we're sitting here with really a quandary. So we reach out to the brother who's in the military, and the brother says, that wasn't me. He does this to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So now we reach out to the father who, and ask him, the father says, our applicant is the good son and the one in the military is the evil one. And he literally said, I should have drowned that son at birth. Oh, well, we God. had no criminal records. We had no fingerprints, nothing to follow up because it was just a blotter entry, basically, at the small police department. So wind up is, to, to, to wrap up this story, is that we had to hunt down the original defense attorney in this case. In hunting down the original defense attorney and using the releases, we were able to get the fingerprint cards that were sealed mm. and then compare the fingerprints and ironically the fingerprints came back to our applicant he was oh. lying and his father was lying oh my God. so he was lying about the brother that was in the military so you kind of i'm happy that i was involved in it and pushed the investigators as far as i did because right. we would have two issues we'd have certainly the non-applicant the brother who would have this type of stain on his record an applicant to come on the job who's a felon yes so yes, but that takes and and really it's to so correlate to talk about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that there's not organizations or people that will put that much effort into this. Yeah. So what happens is, is you have the same type of scenario with this poor client that you yes. have. Yes. Is that they are just they are brand of this because nobody can put the pieces together with this to exonerate them. Yeah, and we have we do have a lot of evidence over the years. I mean, we have mm -hmm. a judicial clearance because the bad guy Keith Shaw appear was in court when Stephen Eccles came in and mm -hmm. the judge gave Stephen Eccles a, a, you know, a certificate of clearance. Mm -hmm. And now we have something in California called the Certificate of Innocence that I've mm -hmm. tried to have him um, be able to get as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, it is, it, there's no protocol like we have with the credit bureaus. You know mm -hmm. how to dispute. They tell you how to dispute. Mm -hmm. You can get a copy of your credit report for free. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that, although I did read recently that the, one of the big data brokers, Axiom, mm -hmm. uh, said that sometime this year, but before the end of 2013, mm -hmm. they will be allowing people to, to get a copy of, their, um, of the profile that's on them. 
Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? Well, I, it, yes, it may help rectify some issues, but, you, but there's, there's another aspect that you need to look at, especially from a legal perspective. Each, I mean, the states are, uh, the, the federal government and the states, uh, there's kind of an ambivalent um, move that's going on right now. Is that you know, We want to be able to hold people accountable for their conduct, but those who are getting arrested can't get jobs. So what you see is this kind of mishmash across the country of, of States that are trying to say, okay, let's start to decrim- let's start to get rid of criminal records in some of these cases that are that old, so we can wipe off the records that the individual has, so they can now apply for positions and it won't be held against them. But what you find is, is that even though those things are going on at the state level, you have these investigative credit card companies and these national bodies, like the ones that you have mentioned, that they're not subject to those types of rules. So, yeah. so do you understand is that if it were, if it's something that they've captured before that information was. Uh, certainly deleted, or if it's something they captured through some other open source records, like say for example, I mean a good example is um, you know a relative of mine got arrested for um, disorderly conduct and resisting arrest in a in a, in a college town, and the the charge got uh, certainly adjourned in contemplation of dismissal, and they dismiss it and it goes away. But there was a newspaper report that said his name and <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so, that's... All, so yes it would be it would be helpful to be able to review those kinds of records but you may not be able to get those deleted from those types of yeah. sources yeah now in 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 uh, California and I think even in the Fair Credit Reporting Act there are limits as to what you can continue to report right like yeah you know mm-hmm. it's like seven years but but the problem is is that these like you said there are a lot of companies that are reporting more than that. Now, mm-hmm. if that if that happens, we have an investigator uh, com- consumer report mm-hmm. um, uh, law here that actually a data broker can be can be sued mm-hmm. if they don't follow the you know the the, the law here mm-hmm. in California. We're a little bit more stringent, mm-hmm. as I said, than the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Mm-hmm. But um, but they still do like this one. You know, for for my client, I mean, we're going back twenty years. Mm-hmm. 20 years and mm-hmm. there was something like a disorderly when he was young that really mm-hmm. was his but but these other felonies were uh, and some of these other things that this other guy did were were more than seven years old mm-hmm. and of course the felonies I can understand that they're mm-hmm. they're reporting it but mm-hmm. um, it it's crazy it's really cra- we don't have, have the to... kind of rights that we need to have to like you were talking about transparency for yeah. the other is, is that again there's such a stiff job market out there is that if you have erroneous information that's reported in there, information that's outdated or shouldn't be in there, your, your, your application is likely going to be cast aside very early in the process. You won't be given a second look or a second review uh, because there's so many others that have applied. Um, so it, it, is, it is unfair that that system is in place and that there is no real true transparency to this process. And you get clients like you just talked about who just don't have the resources for this. It, there's no way they can fight it. Yeah. No, um, no. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I think you know what you were saying that that you don't know what they'll, they'll just say. Well, there was somebody who was better qualified. They won't even say the truth. I had a client years ago that I actually got him on Dateline, mm-hmm. and um, he was laid off from a job. He was making six figures. He was mm-hmm. he had a really good um, you know referrals and and a, a great background. Mm-hmm. And he thought he'd get another job very soon. It was just a layoff. The company was going out of business. Mm-hmm. And so um, he couldn't get a job and they mm-hmm. wouldn't tell him why. We find out later that his file was mixed up with a guy who was acquitted of murder. Mm-hmm. in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And and we finally find this out, and it was really his Social Security number was input 
mm-hmm. in jail for the other guy for the for the other guy's phone number. In other mm-hmm. words, the bad guy who went to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was his phone number, but it turned out to be my client's social security number, mm-hmm. and so they were spreading all this, and he had no idea mm-hmm. why he wasn't getting the job. They didn't right. want to have someone who had even been acquitted of murder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I could uh, just build on a correlation to that, when you, you look at what the moves are with reference checking in the country, and I think California has gone to this uh, as well, where there's an immunity that's given, basically qualified immunity to the previous employer that gives uh, information to the next employer that may adversely affect employment. California is one of the states. I think there's only a half a dozen or a handful in the country that have done this. Right. But but the, from my readings and, and certainly my research, what, what the advice is to these companies is, is that it's, it's really kind of threefold it's it's either you tell them everything and then you use this defense of you know we've given we've given the proper information to the next company or we or we absolutely tell them nothing so we can so if something happens we can say okay well we didn't have any involvement with that but but the problem is there's this concept of negligent referral too that companies need to understand and where that plays into what you're talking about or what this particular case is is that we need to be transparent with the next company even though there may be some there may be some certainly uh, ominous or, or prospective liability with this, it's far better to do that than to stand and mute. Yes, Because yes. then what do we do? We put people in these same positions. So now all of a sudden you have an, an applicant who's in the process who, who is innocent of these issues, and we're not. We're standing mute. We're not saying it. We're not going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. We're just going to say he worked here or she right, worked here. Right, right, right. That's all we can say is that mm-hmm. the years that, that we worked here, mm-hmm. of course they can ask, is this person eligible for rehire? But the, but the previous employer can also say, I'm not answering that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what's really sad with mm-hmm. with with my client is when they ask that you know is he eligible for rehire they're going to say no because mm-hmm. the background check hasn't been changed yet we haven't listen to this mm-hmm. so so we know now we've seen the background check but they won't tell us who was the vendor Mm-hmm. So, in other words, TSA got it from the Department of Justice, but they used outside vendors like Hire Right or right. one of mm-hmm. these others. Yeah. But they won't tell us which one. Mm-hmm. So now the attorney involved in this is going to subpoena all those three vendors mm-hmm. to see if they were the ones that did this, because mm-hmm. we would have a right of action against them for the erroneous stuff right. that they were doing. Oh, it's so crazy. That's if that's if they did it. That's if it's one of those major three vendors. Because if you got to remember, also there's there's a few million private investigators in this country to do pre-employment screening on right. an independent basis. That's true. But 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 apparently, one of the articles that I read that I sent to the attorney said that mm-hmm. TSA was using these three vendors. So mm-hmm. that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, but they didn't do it themselves. Yeah, but just a word. It's just a word of caution. Is that you can't just depend on that because then those places subcontract or an organization. I mean, from a public safety perspective, sure. departments are trying to cut. I mean, here's a couple examples. Departments are trying to cut back uh, on the cost of background investigations. So they'll hire retired police officers or private investigators to do their, their background investigations for them and have a fixed fee. And just to give you an example, they'll pay somebody 300 bucks to do an investigation. Well, and the process itself is, is really 60 to 80 hours of an individual's time. Right, Plus another, right. another, with all the other ancillary costs, you're talking about four or $5,000 a candidate. Departments feel that they're getting a deal at 300 bucks. Well, how much work do you think you're going to get for $300? Um, 
I think the other point I want to make, too, is that there's an opposite side to this coin about people that are rejected um, without knowing, and then you have situations um, in places like Texas and other places across the country from a public safety perspective where you can't fire people, where you know all this information and you can't get rid of them. I mean, that's really another side of this that that needs to be considered in the equation, is that uh, Texas actually has legislation, they call them gypsy cops, where they just jump from agency, they get in trouble and jump from agency to agency to maintain their positions. So you see, that's the opposite side, where you know everything, right. and they're still getting jobs, and then you have these situations where you talk about your clients that really don't know why they were rejected, may have been rejected for some reason that really wasn't valid, and there's no way for them to be able to, uh, to, be able to seek any redress. Right. You don't have it rectified. Right. So, you know, many years ago, I think it was about eight years ago, uh, Senator Bill Nelson from California, uh, from Florida, Mm -hmm. um, introduced legislation that would set up all the background check companies similar to the credit reporting agencies, that they Mm -hmm. would have to provide copies and that they would have, that people would have a right to provide evidence to show Mm -hmm. that this is incorrect and that then they could dispute it and send it back Mm -hmm. to the courts or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that thing died. Mm -hmm. It died. And I testified on that bill. And Mm -hmm. I said, this is exactly what's needed. And I gave all of Mm -hmm. these examples and nothing happened. But I think now, I think now is the time because we're seeing Mm -hmm. that there are some horrible situations. So I'm so glad you wrote your book. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Well, I think it just, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just want to just want to build on that point real quickly. I mean, the federal guidelines and certainly the certainly the Fair Credit Reporting Act and and, and, and the legislation that's in place identifies these nation, nationwide specialty consumer reporting agencies, which are what you're talking about, basically. Yeah, yeah. And they can do criminal record checks and poor references and previous employment history. But people need to understand that the scope of their ability to be able to capture information is much wider than that, because under reg- legislation, they can get medical records, payments, they can get your residential or tenant history, check writing history, employment history, they can find out what insurance claims you've made. It's a much broader perspective. Right. But those they can get for free. I mean, those specialty ones, they can get for free. The mm-hmm. one that they really are having the trouble with, mm-hmm. and, and it is a pain to get all those, mm-hmm. but the, the the one that they really can't always get is this one, this this criminal. But we are out mm-hmm. of time, so just give your website and uh, the name of your book, and you're wonderful, and we'll have you back again. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, Mari. This has been a wonderful experience. It's a uh, JusticeSystemSolutions.com. That's my private consulting company. And uh, my book is Pre-Employment Investigations for Public Safety Professionals. And certainly was written from the public safety side, but it's uh, certainly there's applications or implications for the private sector as well. You're terrific. Okay, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank Bye-bye. You. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.